Welcome to the Deptford Cinema Podcast. He loves movies and board games. He likes cooking gumbo for his friends and spending Sundays in his bathrobe. But most importantly, he's my neighbor and he recommends films. Hello everyone. I am currently on my way to my neighbor. He kindly invited me to his place and we are going to talk about his film watching habits during lockdown, but also about one of his favorite directors, Ari Aster. You know, if he had time to watch films before, imagine what lockdown does to him. Hello, neighbor. So technically, my first question, neighbor, that interests me the most, I would say, how is the bathrobe? Is it still it, comfortable? I've been wearing it for about 40 days uh, now, I'd say. Okay. Uh, appro approximately um, since the lockdown began. Um, I, some, I used to take it off sometimes to go down and do the bins. Um, but uh, haven't really, haven't really done that now. I just go out in the bathrobe. Okay. Uh, what material is it? I was wondering. I don't really know. I, I'd like to say it's a flannel, um, but but it feels cheaper than that. It feels like if I if I sort of if it caught on fire, I'd, I'd I'd go up pretty quickly. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that wouldn't be too optimal. But all all the best for you and uh, your bathrobe. And how are the board games? Are you still playing at the moment? Uh, Yes, yes, uh, I, I, I play board games um, with, with my wife. Um, we have a selection. Um, okay, can you, name, can you name a few? Maybe we have some uh, listeners who would like a, a board game recommendation as well. Oh, we, we, we play a lot of Pandemic, but uh, that doesn't sound... Uh, it's, not, it's not very a uh, good idea at the moment. We don't really like to, uh, like to remind ourselves of that. So uh, we've been playing all kinds of uh, detective games, you know. Nice crazy stuff that's happening out in the world that um, enlivens our, our boring lives. So we've been playing Sherlock Holmes, doing some right. Jack the Ripper kind of investigations, sort mm. of you know, 19th century in the sort of Whitechapel kind of, uh, right. kind of thing. Um, we're uh, we're going to play a game which is all about building castles later as well. Mad, the Mad, Mad King Ludwig's um, German castle builder. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. So you, do you actually speak some German while you're playing it? Um, if I knew it, I would, okay. um, and, and, and I don't know any, so I think that would probably be quite racist. Uh, yeah, I mean, you might hear it from my accent and maybe I have told you before, I am Austrian, so obviously I speak a little bit of German as well. So I can, I can just learn you important phrases if you wanted to. And does it make you any better at building castles? Because you could, you could maybe come it, help. It, it actually does, it actually does. My flat looks a little bit like the inside of a castle, to be honest. I mean, you have never seen it because you never came down to see me in my castle. But yeah, it looks like it. I have a throne here as well. I'm going to have to take that, take your, your word for that. Exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah, but, I have a sofa um, bed. Yeah, a, a very important phrase might be 
Ich will das Schloss für mich. Can you say that? Ich will das Schloss für mich. Für mich. Für mich. It means I want that castle for myself. I do. Might be a good okay. start. Might be a good start okay. for the game. Okay, I'll practice later. Great. And yeah, what about the gumbo? You're normally really keen on cooking gumbo for your friends, but I guess you're not doing that anymore because no friends, right? I've actually still got lots and lots of gumbo frozen in oh. the freezer. Um, not that it would freeze anywhere else. But uh, yeah, I, I actually stockpile it. Um, it's got a lot of oil in it, you see, so it keeps mm. well. Okay. And you and your wife, are you eating the gumbo soon or will it stay there in the freezer for the rest of the lockdown? What, what would you reckon? I'd say the batch that's in there at the moment has been there for about nine months now. So mm, yummy. I don't, I don't know whether that's actually edible, uh, but it makes me feel better knowing it's there. Okay. The feeling of I'm not going to starve. That's good. That's cool. I like that. I like that. So, and I think the most important question is, are you watching loads of films? I'm watching loads of films. Yeah, loads and loads of films. Um, I mean, it's not that different to before the lockdown because uh, mm -hmm. it's not like I really have anything else to do. But uh, there's been a focus. There's been a focus. And I've kind of been putting myself through my own kind of little film school, I'd say. Okay. So, so you once told me you have some kind of movie lists or something like that. Can you tell me more about those movie lists? Yeah, I've, uh, well, I've been logging, logging my films uh, every day. I use an app called uh, Letterboxd, um, which um, I know is quite popular with people in the, in the film community, the film watching community. So I've been doing that um, and I kind of, uh, yeah, I kind of curate lots of little lists and top fives and best this and best that uh, moments from things as I watch them. Um, because, you know, otherwise they just kind of disappear into the ether. Sure, sure. Any top fives quarantine-related films? <laughs> uh, not so far, but I should. I've trying to be. The, I'm trying to watch the exact opposite of quarantine films at the moment. Yeah, that makes uh -huh. sense. That makes sense. Any? Can you maybe give me some list titles you've done in the past? Sure thing. Um, I mean, I've got. I I, I quite like uh, my my top five nasty bastards nice. uh, in cinema. Um, really, really horrible, horrible reprehensible characters um, that's quite a fun one because uh, are they mainly Austrian <laughs> is that a, is that a well-known export of Austria yes yes you know there are some interesting characters out there all played by Austrians they don't get any other roles in films so yeah. <laughs> it's a niche in the market it's a niche. It's a niche. most of most of these are British actually Maybe it's and, easier to find a nasty bastard if they're closer to your uh, cultural... Yeah, I mean, let's be fair, the British, they haven't done nice things in the past either, right? Not very good at that, no. Oh, no, exactly. So, and what about, I heard, I heard rumors you're doing some movie marathons at the moment. Uh, I am indeed. Um, I am about? currently in the middle of Hitchcock Marathon, um, which is pretty classic as it goes. But to be honest, he hasn't done loads of films, come on. No, none at all. No. Um, I, think, I think I'm going to be watching about 16 Hitchcock films. Um, and I've watched about seven or eight so far. Wow, wow, wow. Before that, I did, I've just finished the Francis Ford Coppola marathon. Mr. Coppola, Coppola, Coppola. 
don't know. Is that like a tomato tomato thing? I call it cupola. Cupola? Yeah. Isn't a cupola like a, a, something that you get, like a satellite shape, like a concave shape? Hmm. You're right, no. Um, but yeah, um, I've been doing, so I've done The Godfather and Apocalypse Now and The Conversation and all that good stuff. Wow. Um, and what else? I, I did a Coen Brothers marathon, which was absolutely fantastic. That oh, is very wow. Do that from the very beginning to the very end because how many, how many films do they have? I, I don't really know. Uh, that's eighteen, I think. About 18. Oh, so and when when did you start? Did you start from the beginning of the lockdown? Or... Uh, pretty much, pretty much, yeah. And um, I think I started that about a week into the lockdown. So mm -hmm. over about three weeks, I watched eighteen uh, films. Wow. And do you have a specific time when you watch those films, or can it be whenever? Pretty much whenever at the moment. Time is a fluid thing. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. There's nothing better than a good wake up on Sunday and just get straight down to it. That's true. That's absolutely true. Thank you for that information, neighbor. <laughs> it's good to exchange information. Who are you? My name's Peter. What are you? I'm a, a big film fan. And um, I've uh, been studying film. Where are you? I live in uh, Romford on the borders of uh, Essex and East London. What do you do? By day, I work for a PPE company. By night, I enjoy watching films and television shows and uh, doing various different tasks for Deptford Cinema. Favourite film? That's a really tough one. I'd say, if I had to give an answer, I always usually say Seven Samurai, my favourite film. I just think in terms of entertainment and groundbreaking techniques and story and uh, everything really, characterisation, it's just a masterpiece. How long have you been a volunteer? Uh, I've been volunteering at Deptford for just about a year now. How did you get involved with the cinema? Um, I actually met someone who was a fellow volunteer at uh, a film festival that I was working on and they told me about Deptford and it sounded amazing so I wanted to get involved and programs from films. What things have you enjoyed the most about being a volunteer? Uh, I really enjoy the community part of it, the socialising with like-minded people who enjoy films and uh, different niches of films that you don't usually find in everyday life that people like the same things as you. That they, that they do. What would you say to anybody thinking about volunteering? I'd encourage anyone to definitely volunteer at Deptford. It's a really fun place, really nice people. And, uh, yeah, we have a, a good laugh and we put some really good films on. Cinema of Directors. Okay, so you normally recommend films, obviously. My neighbour recommends films, right? But today we concentrate on one specific director, Ari Aster. Interesting. So why did you choose Ari Aster? Uh, well, I chose Ari Aster because he's a relatively new coming director. He's mm. only got two uh, feature films um, out at the moment and a host of shorts. Um, so I feel like It's, it's interesting to talk about directors where we don't really know what their body of work is going to be. Like, um, you know, those directors where you're like, I don't think they've made their masterpiece yet. Um, okay, yeah. 
they could be fully capable of one. And all the elements that you're seeing are really interesting, but flawed. And I think that's what really interests me about Ariaster is that I don't think that as one of his films that I have liked without reservations so far, but I've loved talking about them and they've genuinely shocked me and they genuinely hit you in the gut and they show some really transgressive, polemical, kind of disgusting things at times. Uh, they're really upsetting. Um, and I don't know, I just think that he feels like quite a, a dangerous um, director uh, who's up and coming. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you mentioned elements. What exactly do you mean by elements? Is it more the mise-en-scene mise in, in, in total? Is it, or is it the, the storyline or is it the, his directing or? I think it's like the themes that he comes back to. So even though he's only done a few films, it's quite interesting to look at the, what recurs in them and his concerns. So they're nearly always centered on families. So, um, so just to sort of mention yeah. the films that I have seen um, are, so he has uh, two early short films that I've seen uh, are uh, Munchausen, um, which is about a young boy heading off to college and his mother's um, concerns about that. Uh, there's an, a short film called The Strange Thing About the Johnsons, um, which has such a jaw-dropping premise um, in terms of how outrageous it is. Um, that I don't necessarily want to spoil <laughs> until oh, we get to spoilers no, later. <laughs> and uh, feature-wise, he had Hereditary, which created quite a big splash. I believe that was three years ago. Um, then it came out quite a big splash on the sort of horror scene as a sort of first feature um, with sort of reports of people fainting and saying it was the scariest thing ever. And then he had Midsommar last year, uh, which is kind of a, a crazy... Um, I would say um, Swedish sort of death cult film, uh, but it's a lot more complex than that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And I have to say, whenever I watch one of his films, so I haven't seen Hereditary, uh, I watched Midsommar, but I watched a lot of his short films. And I have to say, although they are short films and he was still uh, in un university when he uh, did some of those films, it's unbelievable these, love for detail i would say so like i said the mise-en-scene it is amazing how he uses lighting how he uses oh actually also the costumes are amazing i mean i went to film school and i've never seen a similar film like that because i think the attention to detail but also i think he spent quite some money on those films i don't know do you have any background information of what do you think about those early short films? So the early short films, I don't know much more than having actually just seen them. So I just sort of have a more visceral uh, reaction to them. But I equally, I'm always very surprised by how um, the high production value on his very early stuff. Yeah. His cinematographer, yeah. um, um, I can't remember his name, Powell something. Yeah, uh, Pagor Tselski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he is unbelievable. Uh, yeah. Has some really audacious shots, really high um, art direction. And I think that the, the interesting thing about a lot of Ariaster's setting and framing is that it's all very boxy and symmetrical and artificial. So in Hereditary, there is a recurring visual motif, which is dolls' houses. 
um, or at least these like little crafted uh, environments um, mm. that a member of the family makes. And they, there are sort of scenes that are echoed within these little mise-en-scene rooms that then happen in the house to the family as a whole. And it kind of gives this sense of his actors and his characters kind of just being puppets for him to toy with, which given that he de deals with a lot of themes of like fate and uh, manipulation and stuff like that feels quite fitting. Mm, yeah, yeah. So he does a lot of through the mirrors or or actually more, more than one story happening at the same time. So, for example, I watched this short film. Um, it's called Basically. And he has this um, lady talking while another lady is standing outside and doing something. So you have you have this more than one story happening at the same time. I don't know. Is it the same in Hereditary or... There's, in Hereditary, it's more about foreshadowing and fate. Because I always pronounce it wrong, I think. I always say hereditary, but is it her, hered, uh, hereditary? Hereditary. I say hereditary. Uh, uh, hereditary. What, what hereditary. Hereditary, rather scary. Hereditary, uh, scary, scary. Friends you know, of Mott Coppola. Yeah, that's interesting. Actually. It is very scary, though. Um, but yeah, I think mirroring is interesting. Um, I, I just rewatched uh, Midsommar earlier this morning. Um, and um, there's, there's an interesting scene there where he juxtaposes one scene of quite intense grief and screaming with uh, a very sexual scene with lots of screaming. Um, and well, uh, the overall effect is of lots of screaming, but it is funny. It, it, like, it does show that there's a dark humor working down mm -hmm. there in the midst of putting his characters through the emotional ringer, as it were. Definitely. And I have to say Munchausen, one of his uh, short films, it's without any dialogue. With, so it's basically, it feels like watching an opera. Yeah. Just classical music, but it's, I think it's very powerful. It's very, very powerful because a large sequence of the film is essentially a mother seeing her son's future as he goes to college and all of the sort of nice things that happen. Um, it's sort of like a fast forward coming of age. Um, and I, uh, I can't take any credit for this at all, but an observation that I saw online, which I thought was awesome, is it's a little bit like a Pixar montage, like in yeah. like a film uh, like Up. Yeah. Like it's, it's like a really colorful, happy Pixar montage, which uh, being Ari Aster, it, it doesn't really stay like that for long. Definitely. Is, would you say your, this, his mom, this boy's mom is, in the nasty bastards list, would you? She's pretty nasty, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think she could go in there. She could, she could absolutely go in there, definitely. Eligible. <laughs> you, you know what you get when you watch those films and you can really tell he is quite talented. Oh, uh, uh, certainly. And I think that's where I find it really interesting is that he's really good at, his short films are excellent. He's really good at like the core idea. And I think he hasn't quite yet pulled that off in a feature film, like a hundred percent. I think like okay, so still waiting. He's still, yeah. I think there's still we've still got Ari Aster's best film coming. Mm. Um, I, I think, and I, I think that is because uh, I do find him to have almost just hair pulling, frustrating issues with either pacing or tone tonal changes um, in his feature films. So it's almost like he's, he's stuck with this idea that is usually mental, uh, absolutely insane. Um, but he'll either drive at it for too long or he will um, 
change the tone of the film. Um, and I don't know whether it's either intentional, like he wants to explore that, or whether he feels like there are some conventions that require him to end the story in a certain way. But I, am, I feel like in that extending an idea out from a short film, it just hasn't, hasn't 100% um, cracked it. Okay, so probably producer problem? Potentially. I, um, <laughs> I mean, who knows? He, I feel like he's a very indulgent director, which is brilliant. I, I, I love indulgent directors. Mm. Uh, I would much rather watch films that are a glorious mess and are not kind of 100% perfect, but they've got some really like raw ideas in them and the director is really pushing them. And that's why I like, that's why I like what he does. So, you know, I can, I can finish watching a film and I'll go, well, that, I wouldn't give that five stars, but I was absolutely engrossed by yeah. it. Cinema of Scenes my top five Ariasta scenes. And uh, disclaimer, this is going to be a spoilerific section. Um, it's quite hard to talk about some of these without giving big things away um, about the films because they, they, he is good at doing a big set piece around a pivotal plot moment. So um, yeah, r roughly in order, we're going to talk through um, my five favorite scenes, but please do, do watch Midsommar, do watch Hereditary if your interest has been piqued uh, so far. But yeah, I shall just launch in then. Yes, please do, my neighbour. Okay, so my number five Ariasta scene is the crime scene at the, at the beginning of Midsommar. There is a really, really shocking revelation about 15 minutes in of what has happened with uh, the main character, Florence Pugh's sister. And I just think the way the sequence is handled is really, really interesting. You know, at the beginning of the film, you have Florence Pugh trying to ring her sister who's gone off the grid uh, and trying to ring her parents to say that she's concerned about her sister. And this allows Ariasta to set up lots of shots of you know, the, the answer message being received in the parents' house. and no one's sort of getting back to her. And then there is this reveal. It cuts to the emergency services turning keys in a car ignition in the garage uh, and the keys of a second car uh, in the garage. And then it follows this really long shot of a, a hose pipe that's been attached to the exhausts, two hose pipes as they sort of wind up into the house. And the camera just swoops up and round the stairs. And there's this really horrible inevitability as it follows the first hose pipe into the parents' bedroom where you see that they weren't sleeping through the answer message earlier. They have actually been gassed. Uh, and then the most shocking part of all is where the second hose pipe goes off into the sister's room where you see that it's been gaffer taped to her mouth and um, you see all of the incoming messages from her sister on the screen. And I just think when I saw this first in the cinema, I remember just my stomach dropping out. And this happens like 15 minutes into the film. So it gives you that sense of, if he's showing that now, like how much worse is this gonna get? Mm. And I think that's a very powerful tactic. The mm. answer to how much worse it gets, by the way, is very. <laughs> much, much worse. Wouldn't you like to wear a bear costume? I would love to wear a bear costume. I would love... By the way, uh, A24, the studio that put out Midsommar, they've put a uh, short, small promotional trailer on YouTube uh, called It's a Bear in a Cage, uh, which I highly recommend checking out. 
Um, number four uh, is more Midsommar stuff. Um, and, and this, I think, is the ritual scene, which happens about a third of the way into the film, maybe just less than halfway through the film, once they're at the um, Swedish um, festival that they've attended, um, their friends. And that's where this sort of first day of proceedings, uh, there's this kind of hushed, uh, hushed names of this ritual. Uh, only the anthropology student knows what it may entail. And uh, basically they uh, follow these two elder members of the community um, who, after having a bit of a, like a banquet uh, and a toast, sort of head up a cliff face. And this is where I, I really, really found this scene impressive because of how much it made me think of some sort of surrealist filmmakers from the 70s. It made me think of Alejandro Hodorowsky, um, films like El Topo and Holy Mountain, because uh, there's this really strange kind of like shamanic, ritualistic, uh, very psychedelic soundtrack as you see these two old people crest up the top of the hill and essentially they're going to throw themselves off the cliff uh, with a full audience of uh, onlookers as their faces smash against the rock on the ground um, and it's kind of spacey and airy and very I don't know I think shamanic's the right word it feels it feels like it's come from another planet um, and I just think that uh, that that change in tone is something so bizarre is, is very impressive. And it made me realize I never thought of how my face would look like if I jumped off that and, and now you know. And now I know it. Cool. So next up, uh, my number three is from Midsommar, uh, yet again. Um, I just think there's a lot of good moments in Midsommar, but I promise this is it's the last one. It's a long one. film as well. It's a long film as well. A long film. Yeah, exactly. It's probably half of his filmmaking career in runtime terms. Um, and probably my favorite scene in uh, Midsommar is when Florence Pugh is crowned the May Queen. Um, and this is where after kind of dancing around a maypole, everyone else kind of uh, falls down in exhaustion. She's given this kind of crown of flowers uh, and a kind of mantle of flowers. And, and it's, what is so interesting about this scene, not only the colors and the costume design, I mean, by the end of this film, Florence Pugh is literally looks like a slug made of flowers. Like she's in this gigantic kind of Elizabethan um, costume almost, um, just made of colorful flowers. But what's really interesting here is it ties into my other favorite thing about the film, which is I think the film has probably the most realistic uh, hallucination effects um, I've seen in a film. And by this point, everyone has taken some form of psychoactive drug. And as Florence Pugh sort of walks up to this banquet table and everyone's cheering her on that she's the May Queen, you start to see the flowers in her costume kind of pulsate and open like little mouths. And all of the hedges in the background have this kind of oily swimming effect on them. But the craziest thing is that there are actually hidden faces in the hedges and they are subtle enough that you kind of go like, what, what? Did, like, did I just see that? And you're never really 100% sure. And um, I think that that kind of leaving you in that weird like limbo of doubt uh, and sort of hallucination where you can't really believe your eyes is, the, the film leans into that more and more and more. Um, and I think kind of helps contribute to this delirium that anything could happen. 
Number two is uh, the opening scene of The Strange Thing about the Johnsons. Um, so spoiler alert, watch this film if you haven't. It's 25 minutes, you can find it on Vimeo. Uh, the opening scene is of a young boy masturbating in his bedroom. Uh, his father walks in without knocking and proceeds to tell him that it's the most natural thing in the world. Don't worry about it. You shouldn't feel bad about it. And basically reinforces, um, obviously, his son's uh, quite natural masturbation from his perspective. Um, we then see, as the father leaves the room, that the son has been masturbating to a picture of his dad. And this is the inciting incident that will drive the whole plot. It happens in the first couple of minutes, so it doesn't feel like a huge spoiler, but hopefully you've left by now if you wanted to see The Strange Thing about the Johnsons. Or you never want to touch a film that's about that topic, ever. My favourite scene, which I'm going to speak around spoilers, because I believe you haven't seen it, Nora. Thank you, Nate is from Hereditary and anyone who has seen Hereditary will know what I mean when I say it is the central sequence in the film. Um, it happens bang right in the middle um, and it centers around um, a car um, and it's the whole sequence. It's not just this scene. There's an amazing sense of dread that's built up in the scene before this. The thing that happens is so shocking that the entire cinema gasped out loud, uh, which is a moment that you don't get that often, I think, nowadays. Mm. And then it is followed by a scene which is incredible, where the brother of the family walks upstairs and lies in bed. And he lies in bed while something is discovered. And the camera stays on the brother's face while these revelations are happening and there is some sort of emotional things going on in the background and the way that it just stays stays with the brother and stays on his face it just drives home this really dark really horrible feeling in the pit of your stomach and it is it is maybe one of the most intensely dark moments i've ever seen in a film i would say that's probably why i never watched this film because <laughs> But it is very scary, but I really want to watch it now. Hereditary, hereditary, we don't know. Hereditary, hereditary. rather scary. Hey, her, hereditary. There you go, hidden meanings. I really want to watch that film right now, but actually now I'm a bit scared, so probably not a good idea to watch it when I'm home, I don't know. I really hope next time he recommends a rom-com or something. Is it actually called Hereditary? Hereditary? Oh, Hereditary, rather scary. Ah, he has such a nice little cave. Hereditary, Hereditary. Hereditary, rather scary. Hereditary, rather scary. Hereditary. Thank you for listening to the Deptford Cinema Podcast. For more information about our current online activities, please visit our website, www.deptfordcinema.org. For cinema. Deppa Cinema, the right place for film lovers. Deptford Cinema is a volunteer-run community cinema space located in southeast London. Due to the ongoing coronavirus crisis, our current cinema screenings and events have been suspended. We are, however, still active as a community and have migrated online to continue our activities as best possible. We'd like to thank all our patrons cinema visitors and fellow film lovers in Deptford and around the world for all your continued support during these challenging times. We will continue to serve the community and look forward to reopening the cinema in the near future.